see in other books. Let them be never so fabulous and profane. Indeed, they are generally so stuffed with apothems from Aristotle, Plato, and the whole body of philosophers that they excite the admiration of the readers, who look upon such authors as men of unbounded knowledge, eloquence, and erudition. When they bring a citation from the Holy Scripture, one would take them for so many St. Thomases and other doctors of the Church. Herein observing such ingenious decorum, that in one line they will represent a frantic lover, and in the very next begin with a godly sermon, from which the Christian readers and even the hearers receive much comfort and edification. Now my book must appear without all these advantages, for I can neither quote in the margin nor note in the end, nor do I know what authors I have imitated, that I may, like the rest of my brethren, prefix them to the work in alphabetical order, beginning with Aristotle and ending in Xenophon, Zoilus, or Zeuxis, though one was a backbiter and the other a painter. My history must likewise be published without poems at the beginning, at least without sonnets written by dukes, marquises, counts, bishops, ladies, and celebrated poets. Although, should I make the demand, I know two or three good-natured friends who would oblige me with such verses as should not be equalled by the most famous poetry in Spain. In a word, my good friend— said I, Signor Don Quixote shall be buried in the archives of La Mancha, until heaven shall provide some person to adorn him with those decorations he seems to want. For I find myself altogether unequal to the task, through insufficiency and want of learning, and because I am naturally too bashful and indolent to go in quest of authors to say what I myself can say as well without their assistance." Hence arose my thoughtfulness and meditation, which you will not wonder at, now that you have heard the cause. My friend, having listened attentively to my remonstrance, flapped his forehead with the palm of his hand, and bursting into a loud laugh, "'For God, brother,' said he, "'I am now undeceived of an error, in which I have lived during the whole term of our acquaintance, for I always looked upon you as a person of prudence and discretion.' But now, I see, you are as far from that character as heaven is distant from the earth. What? Is it possible that such a trifling inconvenience, so easily remedied, should have power to mortify and perplex a genius like yours, brought to such maturity and so well calculated to demolish and surmount much greater difficulties? In good faith, this does not proceed from want of ability, but from excessive indolence that impedes the exercise of reason." If you would be convinced of the truth of what I allege, give me the hearing, and in the twinkling of an eye all your difficulties shall vanish, and a remedy be prescribed for all those defects which, you say, perplex your understanding, and deter you from ushering to the light your history of the renowned Don Quixote, the luminary and sole mirror of knight-errantry. Hearing this declaration, I desired he would tell me in what manner he proposed to fill up the vacuity of my apprehension, to diffuse light and reduce to order the chaos of my confusion. And he replied, Your first objection, namely the want of sonnets, epigrams, and commendatory verses from persons of rank and gravity, may be obviated by your taking the trouble to compose them yourself, and then you may christen them by any name you shall think proper to choose, fathering them upon Prester John of the Indies, or the Emperor of Trebizond, who, I am well informed, were very famous poets. And even should this intelligence be untrue, and a few pedants and bachelors of arts should backbite and grumble at your conduct, you need not value them three farthings, for, although they convict you of a lie, they cannot cut off the hand that wrote it. 
With regard to the practice of quoting in the margin such books and authors as have furnished you with sentences and sayings for the embellishment of your history, you have nothing to do but to season the work with some Latin maxims, which your own memory will suggest, or a little industry in searching easily obtain. For example, in treating of freedom and captivity, you may say, Non bene pro toto libertas venditor auro, and quote Horace, or whom you please, in the margin. If the power of death happens to be your subject, you have at hand Falida mors equo pulsat pede pauperum tabernus regumque torres. And in expatiating upon that love and friendship which God commands us to entertain even for our enemies, you may have recourse to the Holy Scripture, though you should have never so little curiosity, and say in the very words of God himself, Ego autem dico vobis, diligite inimicos vestros. In explaining the nature of malevolence, you may again extract from the gospel, Decorde exeunt cogitationes male. And the instability of friends may be aptly illustrated by this distich of Cato, Donec eris felix, multos numerabis amicos, tempora si fuerent nubila solus eris. By these and other such scraps of Latin, you may pass for an able grammarian, a character of no small honour and advantage in these days. And as to the annotations at the end of the book, you may safely furnish them in this manner. When you chance to write about giants, be sure to mention Goliath, and this name alone, which costs you nothing, will afford a grand annotation couched in these words. The giant Goliath, or Goliath, was a Philistine, whom the shepherd David slew with a stone from a sling in the valley of Terebinthus, as it is written in such a chapter of the Book of Kings. If you have a mind to display your erudition and knowledge of cosmography, take an opportunity to introduce the river Tagus into your history, and this will supply you with another famous annotation thus expressed. The river Tagus, so called from a king of Spain, takes its rise in such a place, and is lost in the sea, after having kissed the walls of the famous city of Lisbon, and is said to have golden sands, etc. If you treat of robbers, I will relate the story of Cacus, which I have by rote. If of harlots, the bishop of Mondoneda will lend you a lamia, a lice, and a flora, and such a note will greatly redound to your credit. When you write of cruelty, Ovid will surrender his Medea. When you mention wizards and enchanters, you will find a Calypso in Homer and a Circe in Virgil. If you have occasion to speak of valiant captains, Julius Caesar stands ready drawn in his own commentaries, and from Plutarch you may extract a thousand Alexanders. If your theme be love, and you have but two ounces of the Tuscan tongue, you will light upon Leon Hebreo, who will fill up the measure of your desire. And if you do not choose to travel into foreign countries, you have at home Fonseca's treatise on the love of God, in which all that you or the most ingenious critic can desire is fully deciphered and discussed. In a word, there is nothing more to be done than to procure a number of these names, and hint at their particular stories in your text, and leave to me the task of making annotations and quotations, with which I'll engage on pain of death to fill up all the margins, besides four whole sheets at the end of the book. Let us now proceed to the citation of authors, so frequent in other books and so little used in your performance. The remedy is obvious and easy. Take the trouble to find a book that quotes the whole tribe alphabetically, as you observed, from Alpha to Omega, and transfer them into your book. And though the absurdity should appear never so glaring, as there is no necessity for using such names, it will signify nothing. 
Nay, perhaps some reader will be weak enough to believe you have actually availed yourself of all those authors in the simple and sincere history you have composed. And if such a large catalogue of writers should answer no other purpose, it may serve at first sight to give some authority to the production. Nor will any person take the trouble to examine whether you have or have not followed those originals, because he can reap no benefit from his labour. But if I am not mistaken, your book needs none of those embellishments in which you say it is defective, for it is one continued satire upon books of chivalry, a subject which Aristotle never investigated, St. Basil never mentioned, and Cicero never explained. The punctuality of truth and the observations of astrology fall not within the fabulous relation of our adventures, to the description of which neither the proportions of geometry nor the confirmation of rhetorical arguments are of the least importance, nor hath it any connection with preaching or mingling divine truths with human imagination, a mixture which no Christian's fancy should conceive. It only seeks to avail itself of imitation, and the more perfect this is, the more entertaining the book will be. Now, as your sole aim in writing is to invalidate the authority and ridicule the absurdity of those books of chivalry which have, as it were, fascinated the eyes and judgment of the world, and in particular of the vulgar, you have no occasion to go a-begging maxims from philosophers, exhortations from holy writ, fables from poets, speeches from orators, or miracles from saints. Your business is, with plain, significant, well-chosen and elegant words, to render your periods sonorous and your style entertaining, to give spirit and expression to all your descriptions, and communicate your ideas without obscurity and confusion. You must endeavour to write in such a manner as to convert melancholy into mirth, increase good humour, entertain the ignorant, excite the admiration of the learned, escape the contempt.